All right, Dave, my noisy air conditioner is off, so the clock has started. Um, if we don't if we don't nail this thing in about an hour, I turn into a puddle. <laughs> Better hurry up. Was it like 105 there? It's uh yeah, it's pretty warm out here. I'll be honest with you. It's pretty warm in here. Uh, but I got this. Uh, I got everything cooled down in this uh, little back recording hut of mine. Got this down to a comfortable 80. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, if I start audibly sweating, you'll uh, you'll know why. <laughs> yeah, if people could hear you sweat through the the their earbuds that would be gross yeah <laughs> i agree i agree it goes for everybody including yeah. me yeah. yeah how you doing good i'm glad to be home uh, gl- uh getting ready to just start the weekend and and be off i'm i'm for i'm taking a weekend off maybe good for you good for you that's great that's great how about you i uh i'm also back home i was on the road this week and uh now i'm um, home alone, actually, uh, as the family's in Sweden. So I'm going to be uh, getting a, we still haven't unpacked from the move. So I'm going to be taking care of the boys room and cleaning out the shed and things like that. So, um, I don't know. I, I'm kind of, my fantasy about it is that I'm going to be like a kind of a Don Draper, you know, drinking a beer at 10 o'clock in the morning, cleaning out a garage, you know, that kind of scene. Right. Not, That's, not the hallucinating sick one. No, 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 no. The uh, no, the absent, uh, the absent and borderline abusive father one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, All right. One. Good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something you got to have something to aspire to. <laughs> That's right. So what do what do we got on the show uh, this week, Dave? Yeah. So we're talking about airlines, air gaps, gaps in tour security, securing hitchhiking robots in Philly, and filling your calendar with productive meetings. Good. That's some that's some DG show red meat right there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So if uh, if folks want uh, want links to. Uh, well, especially to those calendar tips, which we'll talk more, those meeting tips rather, which which we'll talk about more in a second. Uh, where, where where should they go? They need to go to dgshow.org. So D's and Dave, G's and Gunner, show.org. Yep. And again, uh, if you would like to join, if you'd like to join uh, Jim Wildman in the uh, DG Show Cool Kids Club uh, and the uh, the DG Show Slack there, uh, go ahead and give us a five-star review on iTunes. Tell us, uh, tell us why we're so handsome, uh, why we're so pretty. Um, how we were great beauties in our youth and, mm-hmm. uh, and we'll get you a, we'll get you a golden ticket. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So what's, what's on the cutting room floor that that's, that's pretty, uh, uh, well populated. Yeah. It's a good size this week. Uh, so you found this video of a thousand Italians playing Foo Fighters, learning to fly, mm-hmm. uh, not, uh, not serially like in parallel, like all together, mm-hmm. uh, which is just amazing. Like as a feat of logistics, it's amazing. Um, mm-hmm. and it sounds great. It sounds fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how they pulled that off. And uh, speaking of uh, speaking of hard rocking, uh, some dude put together a captcha. You know those mm-hmm. uh, the the little dingus that uh, let, lets you prove that you're human uh, when you're when you're logging into a website. Um, someone did one uh, that's not based on like fuzzy letters, uh, but instead based on uh, metal band logos, which mm-hmm. is pretty great. Uh, so it's, it's hard. N- it's hard. And it's, and it's not only proving that you're a human, but also that you are a metalhead. Yeah, which I think is yeah. like next level Turing test territory, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, and then you found the, <laughs> this metal cover of a Frozen's "Let It Go." Mm-hmm. Yep, Taylor Swift. Yep, yep. It's awesome. Yeah, Matt Mycini. He's I shared that in our uh, Slack room, and he's like, he's uh, he said he was going to bookmark it, so he's all excited. Nice, mm-hmm. that's great. Um, all right, well, we're, I guess we'll start traditionally with uh, with follow up. What do you got, Dave? Yeah. So we, uh, so one thing I learned a little while ago was that, uh, did you ever like book a flight and then like an hour later find out you did it wrong or you, um, 
uh, like somebody called you two hours later and said, oh, the meeting's canceled. And it's like, whew, that's no problem because I have, I have a 24-hour grace period and I can cancel flights. So have you ever known that or been able to take advantage of that? Uh, three to four times a week. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it happens all the time. Yep. But uh, it doesn't happen on American. No, I've noticed this. Mm-hmm. I've noticed yep. this. Yeah. So the the if you look at the DOT regulations, um, they could uh, give you the 24-hour grace period or let you hold the ticket for 24 hours. Um, and and so they are uh, they decided to go with the or and only let you be able to hold the ticket for a particular price for 24 hours with, uh, with no cancellation window. I see. And, and I'm, I suspect that that hold activity is not instrumented through their website. You probably have to call them uh, to, to put a hold on a ticket as opposed to buying one, right? I don't know. I don't know. It's just not fun. Not cool. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. I, a, the list of reasons I don't like American is growing longer every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I just not, not, I'm not cottoning to this, to this merger. I don't care for it. I don't yep. care for it. I want, I want my filthy U.S. Airways plane back. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm still on one. Uh, the ones out of Akron, <laughs> they're, they're still, uh, U.S. Airways painted and, and filthy. Um, so Yeah. Oh, did did you see the Onion is reporting they got some news about uh, uh, flight uh, uh, airline plane changes? Oh no, no, I didn't read that. What's the news? Yeah, so the Onion is reporting that uh, that the airlines are installing uncomfortable bumps and seatbacks because it pleases them. <laughs> Accurate. Mm-hmm. Accurate. Yeah, yeah, totally true. Um, so, Dave, remember we, we've talked a number of times on the show about uh, air gaps. Um, mm-hmm. and air gaps is like your, your last measure of security, right? Um, mm-hmm. if, uh, mm-hmm. if a computer is unplugged from the rest of the world, chances are pretty good. You're not going to be able to, to snoop on it. Right. Yeah. Uh, impossible. Yeah. Turns out possible. Mm-hmm. Turns out possible. Anyways. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, uh, thanks to, a, a DG show fan club member, Eric Morsey, who, uh, turned us on to, uh, this, apparently it's like a mobile phone hack, mm-hmm. um, that'll, uh, allow you to. I guess grab decryption keys uh, just using a mobile phone on in a computer, and the computer can be disconnected, and it still works. Mm-hmm. I guess using yeah. the mag. I didn't read the article very carefully. It's like it just uses the like a magnetometer or something, or not a magnetometer, but a just uses the I don't know the little gnomes inside the phone to kind of listen in on the electrical activity on the on the computer, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. These are we've talked about these guys before they're they're uh, tel aviv university um that um have done a lot of of uh like air gap hacking in the past that we've reported on um and this one is uh it's it's uh they have it if you look at the article it's it's the whole thing could fit inside of uh pita bread like a piece of pita bread Mm -hmm. um so like if you're like in your skiff and you see somebody walk around with with uh, a pita um, and you know, uh, a hero, um, you know, just, you want to be suspicious. Like a, like an electronic ear falafel. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And this is why, this is why they don't let you carry phones into skiffs, right? This is exactly why. Or pitas. Or pitas for that matter. That's true. No food or drink in the skiff. Yeah. Those are the rules. That's the rules. Um, and you know, we've talked about WebRTC, which is pretty cool. Uh, yes. it's a great technology. Um, it's nice to be able to do kind of video conferencing or, 
video or uh, uh, kind of real-time communication without having to include a plugin. So thanks HTML5. That's uh, that's pretty cool. Um, in fact, they just added WebRTC to our favorite video conferencing solution, BlueJeans. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I know I've been enjoying that. Um, but uh, I saw this article about uh, using WebRTC as an attack vector, Dave. Can you guess how they're using WebRTC as an attack vector? Um, well, I'm... Go ahead. Tell me. Tell me. So it turns out that using WebRTC, you can actually discover the local IP address of the person you're talking to. Hmm. And they don't need to initiate the connection in order for that to be possible. So uh, even if you've turned on all of your secret squirrel stuff on your browser, if -hmm. somebody uh, interrogates through WebRTC, uh, interrogates your browser and asks for the local IP address, it will divulge it. And so guess who immediately jumped on that bandwagon? Uh, New York Times. New York Times. Uh, actually, not New York Times. Actually, the, the advertisers on New York Times. Uh, so mm-hmm. they inserted some WebRTC code inside their advertisements. Uh, so as you were looking at this ad on New York Times, it was silently reporting your IP address, also known as your location, uh, back to uh, uh, back to the advertiser. So that's cool. That's fun. Yeah. Well, is it like is it the IP address of your browser, like of your computer? Like if you're on your connected to your Linksys uh, Wi-Fi at home, you know, and it's reporting mm-hmm. 192.168.1.100. Is that what mm-hmm. it's doing? And if if so, uh, yeah. is that a big deal? Well, so here's here's my guess is that it, because uh, they can get your public address uh, just from mm-hmm. the from the web traffic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But then getting your local address uh, probably makes it a little bit more specific. Um, oh, like this person in the house is looking at one thing and then exactly. I'm looking yeah. at something and Lauren's looking at something else and my wife's yeah. looking at something else. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In, in the grand scheme of things, not a huge deal in terms of vulnerabilities. Uh, like it doesn't actually divulge that much information about you. But um, the idea that somebody could add, I think everybody understood that that hole was plugged. Like everybody, you know, all the security settings on the browser will allow you to filter that stuff out. Like don't report my location, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but having... Uh, this new technology, which is great and everybody enjoys, also opens up uh, new problems, right? So oh, yeah. as we as we increase surface area, of course, the number of attack vectors increases. So. Right. So if you look in the past of having, say, Flash as a plugin that has its own attack surface, and then you have your web browser, which may have a smaller attack surface, so you get rid of Flash, and then you do HTML5, and it's all rich, you're decreasing the attack surface by getting rid of flash but increasing your attack surface by making your web browser bigger um that's one thing but yes I'm, but and when i heard of html5 and, and doing the web rtc stuff i was i was excited about it but also scared it's like wow we are we're adding features and that's just going to be more places for people to get a toehold from a security standpoint but i would think that by having it be a published standard and you know open source implementations and everything it, it'll end up being a lot more secure than something like a flash plugin that only adobe has access to the code to yes all other things being equal i mean because there's also the thing where flash is like turing complete right where mm-hmm. WebRTC hopefully isn't right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yep uh cool okay so speaking of security yeah um so some good news, got, got a good news, bad news situation on the, on the tour front, right? Yep. Yeah, I, I saw this article. It made me think you're a mom um, uh, as, as a librarian. And uh, so there are some uh, crypto activists uh, that are going around to public libraries and encouraging the public libraries to be uh, tour exit nodes. 
So what is that sort of for the folks playing at home? Uh, what is it, what exactly does a Tor exit node do? Um, it so whenever somebody is using a Tor client, um, they connect to the Tor network. It bounces around from internal router to ex, internal router, and eventually for it to pop out on the regular old internet, it has to go out an exit node, access a content at once, go back, and then the content goes back in the exit node and then bounces back around to get back to the client. And right. so by having, um, so one of the problems from its, with Tor from a security standpoint is that if you have a small number of exit nodes, um, the Anybody that wants to do a surveillance state can just monitor that small number of exit nodes. But if you have exit nodes all over the place, then it's going to be a lot harder for uh, uh, for traffic to be uh, collected as well as correlated. Yes, like the more exit nodes, the more potentially anonymous you are, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. But it, but this also doesn't work if you don't have that kind of critical mass, uh, mm-hmm. because you know if you if I were to turn on a Tor exit node. Uh, here in my house, um, basically, I would have a bunch of probably some legitimate, but a lot of illegitimate traffic coming out of it, right? So, if somebody was interested in tracking who was visiting, you know, this drug dealing website, um, and my exit node happened to be the one in use at the time by the uh, by the drug buyer, um, I would look like the drug buyer. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's so that's gnarly. That's uh, yeah. that's kind of a that's our thing to get around. But if you but if you throw it up in a public library, right, where you have all kinds of different traffic flowing through it, I can see that actually helps. Uh, uh, that actually uh, helps ameliorate that problem a little bit. So that's nice. That's good. Yeah, and you could have uh, <clears throat> uh, you know the libraries often have at least in Ohio that really good bandwidth uh, too. It's it's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Um, and then it works the other way too, right? So there's the there's Tor also has this notion of Tor services where you can go to like a special dot onion address and uh, it'll reswizzle and you can interact with a web server or a chat server or whatever, not knowing where the actual IP address is, right? Yep. So kind of like going in the other direction. Yep. Um, but it turns out that doesn't work quite as well as we'd like. Yeah, yeah. So they, they've uh, some computer scientists have figured out an attack uh, to be able to de-anonymize those hidden service websites, and they they're actually to an eighty-eight percent accuracy. Yikes! Yep. Yeah. So it sounds to me then, for the casual user that's using Tor, that's not a big. It's well, it could be a problem for them um, if they're using one of these anonymized sites and they put whatever personal information that can track trace back to them. But it's, it's the people that are running those sites are the ones that are at risk from being uh, de-anonymized. Right. Right. And, uh, uh, four out of five are not very good chances for something like that. Yeah. Well, it's almost nine out of 10, 88%. Almost nine out of 10. Yeah. 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 Uh, but you know, uh, for most of us, we don't care cause we don't use Tor cause we've already given up and we've given Google all our information anyway. Um, yeah. And one of the nice side effects of this is that they make these great tools. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So have you seen the, the be able to see the Google history um, that inside of Google Maps now? Yeah. It's ironic given this is the web, uh, the, the podcast that I'm on, but I was an early and enthusiastic Google Latitude user. Do you remember that service? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So like being able to report your location to your friends and be able to track where your friends are and stuff like that. And uh, 
Um, and then I'm also an enthusiastic Google Now user, um, which is also like has this data in it. But yeah, being able to see this like map of where you were and where you traveled on any given day. And it does insane stuff. Like it knows when you're in a car based on how yeah. quickly you're moving. It knows when you're walking. It knows when you're on an airplane and it knows which flight you were on based on its departure time. It's crazy. Yep. Yeah. And you would think that it, it, it's not scary if it's like, oh, I went these places or whatever um, yesterday. But you could actually rewind like back for years and see all the trips you're doing. And like I, I did some stuff. Um, uh, it's, what is it called? Uh, your timeline. And so you could mm -hmm. take a look. It's like, oh, a couple of years ago you went here and you went here and, you know, you had this you know, you went to this bar and grill and then you went over here and, and it's all this trail of breadcrumbs that you could see. And so it's kind of scary from, uh, you know, them knowing your habits and the places that you visit to be able to figure out, uh, you know, to optimize your ad experience. Um, but I could also imagine from a, uh, a subpoena standpoint of, Oh yeah, that, that, that is pretty bad. And you could pause your, uh, location history if you want. Um, but mm -hmm. that's right. And, and they give you, and they also give you tools to, to delete it entirely, um, yeah. which, are, which is nice and, and responsible of them. Um, Assuming you, talk you about, delete it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, that's right. Yeah. Um, and, but so this could actually work in your favor, right? You mentioned subpoenas and you can imagine how this would be embarrassing potentially um, or unpleasant uh, or at least creepy uh, to have somebody subpoena your location history for the last three years. Um, but also that can work in your favor, right? Like if there's a crime committed, the police can go in and find out where the burglar was or where the robber was and track their movements in that way. Right. So that that's kind of good. You know, that would be useful actually for this Hitchbot thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Have, and so have you been following that? Uh, so I know here's, here are the facts that as I understand them, um, there was a hitchhiking robot. Yes. Yep. Yep. And Philadelphia is a horrible garbage place, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and yep. uh, so when the when Hitchbot, uh, poor little guy, he was going for like two weeks, and he hit Philly, and uh, they just whacked him one. Yeah, he was like gone, and and <laughs> like he even made it through New York City. <laughs> but well, yeah, like... he made it. Well, he made it through Giuliani's New York City. I mean, this isn't like he made it through New York City in like '76. Like he, right? You know, he, True. Like, yeah, yeah. Like he, he, like he wandered through an Abercrombie and Fitch, and then made his way down to Philly, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, he went to the Apple Store and yeah, <laughs> yeah right, right, recharged. Right. But yeah, yeah. So it's like yeah, he, um, and and they had a tracker in there and everything, and that he the robot just went off the grid. You know, he's uh, you know he went to Boston and you know New York City and everything, um, and he was like vandalized. Um, and I, I guess there were pictures there of his remains uh, that I, I put a picture in the, the show notes. And, you know, and I just had to shake my head as far as like I, if I was to bet money, it would be uh, Philadelphia. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you talk about city of uh, brotherly love. But did, did you hear about the, the story with the Philadelphia Eagles uh, fans booing Santa Claus during an Eagles game? No, that's hilarious. What's the, what's yeah. the story? Yeah, so I, I put a link to the show notes in that, and it reminded me a lot of the nickel beer night story from that we talked about a long time ago um, in Cleveland. But um, this this is where you know Philadelphia Eagles football team um, they were just having a terrible season, and I think it was like one of the last games of the season. They were getting crushed. It was like snowing, where it's like you you just would have handfuls of snow. You'd have to brush your seat off and everything, um, and 
um, I, I guess the they were going to have like uh, an official Santa Claus person uh, come in and like in a real suit and everything uh, come in and wish everybody Merry Christmas and everything. But the this Philadelphia-based Santa Claus said like no way, and I, I forget if it was because it's too cold out or the the Eagles stink or whatever. So I'm not even doing it. So I'm out of here. And so they found a guy in the audience that just you know just the random guy that was wearing a, a Santa suit in in the stands. So it was this young guy, um, and and they like pulled him aside, and it's like you're going out on the field, you know, uh, our, our Santa Claus quit. So they just pulled some guy that was dressed up as Santa Claus. They they took him out to the field, and people just so between the cold, the Eagles losing, and this guy was like a really sorry looking Santa Claus, like really just like looked really bad. Um, the fans just started booing like crazy, and and there was snow there, and so they just started throwing snowballs at the uh, booing and throwing snowballs at the Santa Claus. It's a garbage city. Philadelphia is a garbage city. Yeah, I'm saying that for the record. Yeah, it was very different. As me from Western Pennsylvania, it's like, mm, we don't do that in Pittsburgh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's a difference. Yes. It's, a, it's a whole other half of a state. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. um, so, so, uh, so, Dave, we've gone like 20 minutes now, and uh, and I haven't gotten a Lauren update. What's up, what's up with Lauren? Oh, yeah. So she actually today was the last day of her internship at NASA Glenn for the summer. Um, oh, okay. But... Yeah, but she was able to crank out another opensource.com article about how she was manipulating data in 3D with uh, a LiDAR viewer. So it's an open source uh, viewer. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. What's she going to do without access to all these cool toys? Work on robotic season for this year, I guess. So I just but realized this... you're going to you're going to have a very expensive Christmas. You know this, right? <laughs> no, she could just go to NASA and it's like <laughs> use a cave up there and just sign it out or something, but um, <laughs> But you know, it's it's uh, I'm. She's done so much this summer at NASA with you know. I can just only imagine come robotic season, she's gonna you know from all the debugging, all kind of weird OpenCV code and uh, just like crazy stuff that like robotics is gonna be easy for her, relatively speaking. Um, so oh, yeah, yeah. So it's, it was a great experience, and I'm really thankful for the guys at NASA that uh, uh, run the internship program. Is uh, very generous of them. Yeah, that's awesome. That's great. That's great. Um, so the, so it, we are obviously huge enthusiasts of open sourcing government. And and Dave, you got a you got an interview on the topic, right? Yep, yep. I, I generally said that uh, open source uh, in government is a good thing. So spoiler alert. So. <laughs> Nailed it. Nailed yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, stuck a landing too. That's great. Um, what's the opposite of open source, Dave? Closed source. Mm-hmm. Uh, and who's the captain of closed source? Hmm. I can give you a list. Uh, <laughs> so I'll get. So uh, the answer I was looking for was Oracle. Um, yeah, they they have which, a lot of great proprietary software. Yes, they do, and and uh, and they will charge you a pretty penny for it. In fact, uh, Matt Mycini uh, turned us on to this article um, about how Oracle is using uh, is using litigation as a way of getting more money out of customers. It's like straight out of Dale Carnegie. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so I, I won't go into the details. Um, and uh, for those of you in the industry, you're probably already familiar with it. But if you're wondering why Gunner, Dave and Gunnar hate Oracle so much, this is a pretty, this is a good, pretty good place to start. Pretty mm-hmm. good place to start. 
um, let's see. So David, my new job, I, I'm talking about containers all the time. It's, uh, mm-hmm. I got, I got containers on the brain. Um, yep. and, uh, and so we got some, so we got some great container news, uh, yeah. here. Um, North Carolina, we've mentioned this before. I think that, uh, that North Carolina state of North Carolina, their website was uh, running on, uh, OpenShift and, and, uh, actually one part of the website was running on OpenShift. And, uh, now they've, there was a great article in, in state scoop about how, uh, all of North Carolina is now using OpenShift uh, for their web presence, uh, which is pretty great. It's pretty yeah, awesome. I mean, it's it's it seems like everybody in North Carolina is using OpenShift. That's it's Zoma. He's doing a good job. Um, yeah. But it's, uh, I mean, it's the the state government. It's universities using it. It's uh, it's awesome. Awesome work. It is awesome work. It is awesome work. And so, David, you know, we made these announcements around uh, Atomic and the Atomic Enterprise platform. Um, yep. So, like, so just a brief explainer. So you got OpenShift, which is like a very opinionated platform as a service. Um, it includes like integrated, uh, integrated or continuous integration is included. Um, it comes with all the languages you need. It's kind of like a, a ready-bake kit for a platform as a service. Um, but then there's another kind of a person who doesn't want all of the, all of those opinions, right? Maybe, maybe they have their own way of doing things. They have their own workflows and they don't want to use the open shift kind of lifestyle. Um, mm-hmm. And for those folks, we've got the atomic enterprise platform. Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of OpenShift with all that Kubernetes and container goodness kind of stripped out with the thing on top, anyway, or without the without all that stuff on top. Um, so we've got this uh, Atomic Apps tool, mm-hmm. uh, which works great with that Atomic Enterprise platform. And and the idea behind Atomic Apps is uh, it's a uh, it's a neutral way of describing a complex uh, kind of um, multi-component application. So mm-hmm. if I've got like a web server and a database and a whatever, uh, what do I need? A web server, database, and an application server, right? I need to be able to describe to my infrastructure how all these things are wired together. I can't just like throw three containers in the system and hope that they find each other. Um, mm-hmm. I need to be able to declare that, no, these are this is a logically connected thing. Um, so we have this uh, standard or this project upstream rather, um, uh, called Nulecule, which mm-hmm. we, which I think we've talked about before. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, Atomic Apps is a uh, Atomic Apps is kind of the, the product that we wrapped around the Nulecule project, and um, there's a really nice explainer um, that goes into more detail about how this works and how the stuff wires together. And it's a nice little entree into like how to think about the world when you're thinking about containers. Um, yep. So I liked it, um, and a nice little chaser for that is the uh, is the Container Best Practices Guide. Uh, mm-hmm. which is on the uh, Red Hat customer portal. And uh, I, threw a link, uh, I threw a link to that in the show notes as well. So actually, speaking of some A-plus Red Hatting, uh, Sam Knuth um, had a post up on opensource.com. Have you read this? Did you read this post yet? Yeah, this is related to the book of where, uh, from the open organization book where he got, uh, mm-hmm. uh, he got blown out in front of everybody. Um, but, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Sam runs our documentation team and... Uh, uh, he kind of like he was going on vacation, but before he went on vacation, they did this announcement like, "Hey guys, we're changing how we're delivering the documentation, and we're not doing PDFs or EPUB files anymore, right? So not we're not doing eBooks and we're not doing PDFs. We're just going to do the HTML and the plain text and all the stuff we usually do." And then he's like, "Peace, I'll be on vacation." And he comes back two weeks later, and MemoList is still yelling at him. Um, yeah. and, oh, poor guy. That's pretty bad. Anyway, he had this article he had up on OpenSource.com is all about um, how he how he took the reaction um, and uh, kind of made it a case study on like how Red Hat resolves conflict um, mm-hmm. 
and and how he personally resolves conflict as a redhead employee. And I, I thought it was cool. I thought it was great. Yeah, um, yeah, so and it, it's really it you got to be pretty courageous to, you know, when something like that happens to, you know, you learn from it. But he's like writing blog posts about it, and is a very you know it really puts him out there as uh, in a very vulnerable way, and it's that's pretty courageous for him to uh, to you know tell that story. Yep. Yep. Totally. Yeah. So nice work, Sam. That's great. Mm-hmm. You know who else did some A plus redheading? Oh, Burr Sutter. Burr Sutter, that guy crushed it. He was mm-hmm. so good. Um, so you were there for this. You, were, you saw the demo in person, right? You saw yeah, you were, sit, you were sitting next to me. Oh, that's right. We were sitting next to each other. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think we talked about it on a previous episode. Is how awesome this thing was. Um, anyway, there's a link uh, to the uh, there's a link to the demo um, that uh, Burr Sutter did, uh, and it's kind of this mashup of like platform as a service, IoT. Uh, what else? Uh, there's a bunch of JBoss stuff in there. Um, anyway, this thing is just, is totally amazing. Um, I encourage everybody to go check it out. It's super cool. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, internally they, they announced the top presenters for the summit and, uh, I, and this will probably come out, come summit time next year, but, uh, there's a bunch of, uh, people we've had on the show, actually, uh, everybody that we've, that, that, um, we had many people that were on the show that got top presenter awards. So people like Dan Walsh. Uh, Matt Mycini and Sean Wells and and plenty of other folks um, as top presenters. So congratulations. Yeah, congratulations, guys. Um, also, Dave, hey, correlation or causation? That's what I yep. want to know. Kingmakers, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Kingmakers, that's right. That's right. Speaking of Matt Mycini. Yeah? Yeah. So what's, what's he? He's like complaining about uh, secure things, right? This is uh, Windows 10. He's he's talking about Windows 10. Oh, yeah, the, the Wi-Fi Sense thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it, what Microsoft will like, you know, you go over to somebody's house and you want to get on your Wi-Fi, and you actually have to like talk to the person, and then they got to give you the Wi-Fi password, and then you got to type it in. Um, uh, why uh, with with uh, Windows 10, it looks like uh, it allows you to save all your passwords up to the cloud, and then share it with all your friends on your social networking. And that's awesome. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Man, I'll never have to secure anything ever again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And which, you know, and I, I've heard uh, like some descriptions of it where, you know, it's on by default. Um, and it kind of makes sense if you're doing like some crazy Wi-Fi password that is like 5 million characters or something like that. That would be hard to type in on a mobile device. Um, but, um, you know, if you think about like sharing your Wi-Fi password and it, it doesn't share the plain text password the way I understand it with mm-hmm. um it'll it'll obfuscate it from your friend that you're sharing it with so windows 10 on their side will know what the password is to be able to connect but i don't think they will expose what the password is in clear text i could be wrong um but okay. the problem the problem i have though is that how many people have social media friends that you are quote-unquote friends that you wouldn't necessarily have them in your house yes Yes, that's true. And also there's a, there's a, there's the other thing too, which is like, this is a, this is an awful lot of engineering to solve a very small problem, right? Yes. Um, like how frequently are you hopping into different people's, like how often are people changing their Wi-Fi passwords and how frequently are you moving to people's new houses, brand new where you, I mean, like, unless you're like some kind of like crazy couch surfer or like Airbnb person, um, like who cares, right? 
Yeah. Well, I bet you it was to meet a, a bullet on a slide in a Windows uh, Microsoft marketing. Like, what are we going to say on the back of the box of the software? And, yeah. you know, a bullet point is easy to share Wi-Fi or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah, and, that's right. And I don't, you know, the whole point, you know, I don't know. I think there could be a better technological way to do the Wi-Fi passwords without giving them out either. Um, yeah, I would hope so. I would hope so. Yeah. But it's and, a little bit like, what's the what's the internet trope like? Every software grows to the point where it reads email. Um, it has like, its own I, email client. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I think uh, I think we have to update that. Like all software evolves to the point where it connects to Facebook. Yeah, and like with your Wi-Fi password in your phone, like you could share your Wi-Fi passwords up with Google, so that whenever you add a new device, it'll pull down all those passwords for you. Um, but that's just for you. Whereas yes. in this case, Microsoft is like, well, why limit it just to sharing the password with your devices <laughs> when you could share it with all your quote unquote friends devices? Yes. Um, and you trust me. So I'm going to share it f with you. I'm going to share it with your friends on your behalf. Right. Yeah. And yeah. like I've seen too, like um, uh, where I, I've seen articles in the past where there were um, with LinkedIn, that there would be like somebody would do a connection request to somebody at, say, like the NSA. And it's like the, the guy getting the request is like some stodgy guy and all that. But the request is like from some uh, like uh, this person that, you know, it's a, it's a cute young lady um, that is like and so the guy's like, yeah, sure, I'll connect with you. And then you connect with this social network. And before you know it, you have this rat's nest of people that it's like they're not your friends at all. Um, mm -hmm. And then you could easily just like, you know, you it's easy to find somebody's address. So then you could have the like the security van that's like parked outside and you have their Wi-Fi password. So from outside that person's house, you can get on their home Wi-Fi um, easily. Yes. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. It's it, yeah. Well, anyway, just a terrible idea. Yep. Just a terrible idea. Yep. Um, so Dave, I'm on the phone now from 7 a.m. at least until usually like 7 or 8 at night. Like I have yep. another call after we record this show. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. So uh, it was with uh, an imperious detachment that I read this uh, that I read this screed um, on Boing Boing uh, from a from a freelancer who is upset that her time is being wasted on kickoff calls. So she writes for magazines for a living. And before she writes a, you know, before she gets a contract, usually the editor or the, uh, the, the consulting editor or the, the, the hiring editor or whatever they call it, you know, wants to get her on the phone and, and talk with her, um, before she starts writing the piece. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, which sounds totally normal, but she's like, I have, there are 40 hours in my week and I need to put dollar signs on all of them. And every mm -hmm. time you want a kickoff call from me, like if you do a kickoff call with me for mm -hmm. like a $300 piece, like you've just eaten into like a whole bunch of time uh, mm -hmm. for me. And so like, what is this kickoff call actually about? And she seemed kind of tone deaf to the notion that somebody would want to create a, a kind of a personal relationship with people that they were employing. Um, yes. And also kind of indifferent to the notion that she should be creating a personal connection with people, making herself more hireable on the next job. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, the whole thing just stuck me like really callous and, uh, yeah, just kind of really callous and very transactional, like her relationship with her, uh, with her business colleagues, which is funny. Cause like, you know, freelancers kind of thrive on networking. Right. Um, yes. anyway, th those are my thoughts. I what did, 
did you uh, come away with any particular impression? Yeah, I, I would think, you know, I wonder too, is, you know, the other side, you said that, you know, freelancers are networkers, but I wonder if they're just not that by, uh, by disposition, they're not super social. Whereas like, I'm a, I'm a freelancer. So I work in my home office. I don't talk to anybody all day. Um, you know, so I can imagine for a freelancer, that would be good for an introvert that is like, I have my job, I do my job, I don't have to talk to anybody in the office, I don't have to worry about a, you know, a boss or so. Um, and, and, but I've also been on the other side of it where, you know, you've, you've had to do like speaking engagements and stuff like that, where you get everybody on the phone to talk about the panel. And then they, you know, it's stuff that could have been communicated in an email is like, oh, you show up it here's the address here's the time you go on and i wonder if they do that because they don't trust the people that are going to be on the panel to show up on time or i didn't get the email it's it's like a a way to get verbal acknowledgement that Mm -hmm. um everybody's on the same page but yeah yeah. do you have to do it does it have to be an hour-long call Um, that's right that's right or the other end is like whenever i do a panel like i'm like for defense in depth coming up on September 1st, um, I'm, I'm doing a DevOps security panel and, uh, I'm doing a prep call for it. It's, I'm going to make it as, it's going to be no longer than 25 minutes, probably less. I'm sending out, uh, an agenda beforehand with all the notes and all the logistics and everything. And it's just basically, I sent you the document. We're going to go through it really quickly. Um, you're going to have it afterwards. And you know, do you guys, and I'm, I sent it to you beforehand to read it do you have any questions and and let's just cover just as much as we need so we can get out. And it's, I think it's about meeting hygiene as well. Yeah. 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 Well, speaking of which you found this, you found this link to in the Harvard business review, um, this condensed guide to running meetings. I think, did you, I think, Oh, maybe I found it. Maybe I found it. Okay. So, well, anyway, anyway, point is guys, it's great. Um, and the, and the tips is that it's a nice, as it right, what it says on the tin, it's a condensed, list of things that you should be looking for in good meetings. And this is DG show approved. I mean, we've talked about all this stuff. Um, so it goes through, you know, so like no more than seven people on the meeting, right? That's the two pizza rule, um, Mm -hmm. which we're both fans of, um, Mm -hmm. no devices in the meeting, which Mm -hmm. yes, I'm, I'm that, that sounds great to me. Um, stand up during the meeting, right? That's a, that's, that's a cloud. That's an old trick. Um, no update meetings, which I saw this and I hollered comrade, uh, no update meetings, like holding a meeting, taking 16 people to tell them in person, like give them a status update on like every project that everybody's working on. And, is... and the other 15 people are, uh, the, yeah. so there's 16 people in the room, one person's talking, one person's listening and the other 14 are think they're, they're on their device doing something else. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, and then, uh, here's a, here's a life hack. Um, if you see it turning into that kind of a meeting, uh, if you're the, mo- if you're moderating the meeting, uh, cold calling people like, or, you know, like calling people out to get them engaged. Like it's an old elementary school teacher trick, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if some kid is like trying to hide in the back, you call mm-hmm. them out and, and ask him when George Washington was born. Um, that's a, that seemed like a good idea to me. And then, uh, Dave, uh, what, what is the one golden rule for setting a meeting, uh, that we haven't mentioned yet? Wear pants. Wow. Okay. That's a good one. I'm going to write that down. I'm going to write that down. Especially with the video conferences that I'm doing lately. That's It's that's optional these days. 
no, the most important rule is set the agenda for the meeting, right? Yep. Um, yep. Like if you are going to, I, I more than once, I'm not going to name any names, but like more than once this week, I've had somebody on my staff schedule a meeting with me and eight other folks uh, representing God knows how many hundreds of dollars of uh, people's time and attention and not a single indication as to what we were going to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's uh, to me, it's like people treat it like a murder mystery. Like you find out who the murderer <laughs> is, you know, and it's like, just tell me why I'm showing up and give me the, give me the, give me a reason why to show up. Yes. Yes. Because and, you, you know, weren't, because, because I wasn't, I wasn't sitting at home waiting for you to call. Like I have other yeah. stuff that I want to be doing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you're probably triple booked. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, yeah. Yeah. Have, yeah. Have you seen, have you read that there's a blog post from 2009 about meter, uh, makers and, and managers? Uh, refresh my memory. So this was on back to work, the podcast a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Merlin Mann mentioned it about, uh, makers and, um, and managers. So, um, one of the things, so I, I read the article and it made it, I wish I would have read it back in 2009. Um, but it made so much sense to me where you have, uh, like engineering types that are in their cube, they're writing code all day. And, um, you know, for you to get into the zone, you, you can't be like interrupted all the time as far as, uh, you know, it's like, uh, think about having like a 10 AM conference call. So you get to your desk at eight. Um, it may take you four hours to get into the zone or three hours to get in the zone, and then you have that interruption at like nine o'clock or ten o'clock for some status meeting, and then that just totally breaks your momentum. And then you got to start all over again. Then you have lunchtime, and then that breaks your momentum. Then you do it again. You have another meeting, and so you—it's really hard to be productive. And people get really cranky if if you are uh, somebody that is more like a developer. Whereas if you are a uh, a manager, a manager is you know they they have meetings all day long where the, you know their whole point is that they're not there writing code they are um they're directing uh people's work and and uh, you know making decisions and stuff like that and so for a manager they don't have a problem having like calls backed up day to day or um unless they're working on something where they got to put their heads down and hide and get something knocked out um it's okay to have like a half hour interruption or have somebody walk in on you or something like that to talk um, and once I understood that, that really made a lot of sense for uh, being mindful of when you interrupt engineers or, or even personally, like sometimes you're developing something and you get in a zone and you just you don't want to be interrupted to, to break that flow and lose that momentum. And what um, this developer guy came up with was uh, he basically would, would not do meetings all day long except for like four o'clock and he would have his own little office hours, which was pre-established free, uh, free game for anybody to go in and interrupt him. And so that way it provided an opportunity for people to interrupt him, but also it, it uh, gave him that time, that you know, long stretches of time to be really productive from a coding standpoint. Yep, yep. Um, you know, what's interesting is going into this new job, uh, almost everybody in my side of the house is like an IRC person. Um, yes. So they just kind of like live on IRC all day. Yes. Um, and I'm and I'm I'm realizing that my muscle for filtering IRC is totally atrophied. Um, I needed to like retrain myself to ignore IRC 
um, and stay away from it. Um, because literally I was like interrupted every 30 seconds. Somebody was like, somebody was popping something up on my, on the little notification thing or whatever. And I was getting really frustrated and I, and it was, but it was, I couldn't pinpoint it. I couldn't figure out why I was getting so frustrated or why I couldn't concentrate on, on something. I realized like, Oh, it's because I haven't turned IRC off. Like, so I had to kind of set it aside, mute it, um, you know, shut off the application. And then I was able to kind of start concentrating and, and get into my work. Um, but, uh, you know, it's funny how you, you know, when you are in the maker role, um, how easy it is uh, to be distracted and, like, not completely understand why. Um, yeah. You know, it's like it, you just kind of, like, take it as read that, like, yeah, of course, IRC is going to go off every 30 seconds. Like, wait, no, wait, that's crazy. Like, why? No, think critically about that. Like, no, of course it shouldn't go off every 30 seconds. I mute that thing. Yeah. 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 And. Yeah, I, I don't know how dev- our developers do it. Like, it, it's sort of, uh, so now you, like I just said about the whole makers and managers thing, it seems like they're okay being interrupted with IRC, but not necessarily a 30-minute meeting. Here's here's my hypothesis, is that the IRC ping is the developer equivalent of a phone call. Yes. In other words, like, it has the same level of urgency. Mm-hmm. Um you know, kind of like, I need to talk to you right now. So I'm getting to you on IRC and not sending you an email. Right. Because like right. in develop in like in the developer culture, like getting on the phone is like, no, I never get on the phone. The only reason I get on a phone is like if my boss told me to, or if I had to talk to a customer, um, yeah. I would much rather stay to my keyboard. Right. Um, yeah. and so the, but you need an outlet, right? Because if you need to reach out to somebody and let them know that you want something, then you know, you would do it through IRC. So anyway, and they already have all the coping mechanisms in place, I hope. Um, so, it, you know, just as a maker, when you're in the maker role, like being careful to actually make sure you have all the coping mechanisms necessary to uh, keep your head clear as you're doing your work. And then when you're done, you can turn on IRC and Slack and everything else and go back into manager mode. Yeah, or email. And and that's where, email. you know, how many times have you been like, this happens to me a lot. It's like you just felt like you're exhausted by the end of the day and because you work really hard. And then you ask, what have I done? And and it's I it, you basically just it was email whack a mole and and uh, just letting the you know like you said uh, email be a collaborative task list that anybody could add to um, yeah. instead of you guiding your own email and like the past couple of weeks with the job change and everything a lot of the email it's like I just sort of let go and I'll answer it in the morning and in the evening when nobody's around to reply to me. Yep. Um, that, yeah, you that's know, important. just to take yep. advantage of the asynchronousness, um, mm-hmm. or, and the other thing I do too, is like, even if I reply to somebody at night, I, I tend to schedule the email to go out at 7am. So I'm not creating an interrupt on their phone and make mm-hmm. them feel like they're obligated to reply to me at eight o'clock at night. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, absolutely. Speaking of which, Dave, I got to get ready for this call. Yes. Yes. Poor you. It's like seven twenty Eastern and on a Friday. Yeah. Uh, this is this is this is life in this is what management looks like, kids. Yeah. Yeah. Stay don't try this it. at home. Yeah. Don't try this at home. Uh all right, Dave. So if folks want to learn more about everything we talked about today, if they want to see the condensed list of uh meeting uh so meeting running a good condensed guide for running a good meeting, uh if they want to see photos of a hitch bot, uh where should they go? Or the metal captures. Uh, they want to go to dgshow.org. So D's and Dave, G's and Gunner, show.org. All right. Uh, Dave, have a great weekend. Yeah, you too. Thanks, Gunner. And thanks, everybody.
Thanks, everyone.